Uh, it's great to, to be with you and see you and say hi if you're online. And I bring greetings from the hundred or so plus people over the road. It's just amazing and wonderful just to have a bit of a sense of campus um, this morning with uh, us gathering across the ages. And uh, just um, uh, forgive me if Tim and Hill's already said this, but uh, over the road is all ages. You do not have to have children to go over the road. Uh, you are welcome as a load of bunch of people who are sitting um, and worshipping on their own. Over, well, not on their own, but you know what I mean, they're sitting. So there's seats and there's tables available. So um, uh, full starts. I don't know if you've ever had many full starts in your life. I, I don't think I've told you that when Nikki and I got married, Nikki's very into music, and she chose a piece of music to come into, which was uh, a bit unusual. It wasn't the sort of classic kind of piece of uh, music that you might have at the beginning of a wedding. And the deal was that I was meant to know what this music sounded like, because we were a bit worried when people would know when the organist sort of transitioned from, you know, kind of lots of nice classical music that was being played into this piece. Because the problem was, in the moment, I completely forgot how the music started. So every time the organist started a new piece of music at about the right point, I'm sitting down where Tim is now, I would sort of kind of half stand in case it was the piece of music, look round, see no Nicky, and then I would sit. And you can imagine that in the congregation there, this sort of became a bit of a running joke. Every now and again, I would sort of go, go oh, ah, like that. Uh, my best man also dropped the ring in the car park and disappeared at this point. Another story, we found it. Church, uh, church warden, a traffic warden found it, actually. False starts, false starts. What about false endings? Who's satisfied with the ending to Line of Duty? Uh, you see, is it the end? Is it not the end? I don't know. Um, Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know, all those films, the number of times you kind of, is this the end? Is it not the end? And the last one, Return of the King. I mean, it, deliberately, there are a whole load of times where it, it feels like you've got to the end. And then there's another bit. You haven't. I'm, I'm sure I know one or two people. I know this is Joe's favourite movie. The Simpsons movie uh, has actually perhaps the best kind of classic ending because it ends like this. It ends uh, with, a, with a screen which says, to be continued. And then the next frame is immediately. To be continued immediately. And that's the title for this talk. To be continued immediately, because it's ascension. So Tim's mentioned Pentecost. We're looking forward to that at the end of the week. But Thursday was Ascension Day, and this is the Sunday when we think about ascension. And some of you are probably sitting here thinking, heard it, seen it, got the T-shirt. Some of you are probably sitting here thinking, vaguely heard about it, not quite sure what it's about. And others of you are sitting there, I'm guessing, thinking, I know nothing about this. Why is ascension so important? Well, let's have a listen and a look. Acts chapter 1. Let's dive into scripture and let's find out why I and many others who've gone before me absolutely believe that without ascension, nothing else makes any sense at all. And this actually is the real ending of the part one of the Jesus story, not the resurrection. Acts chapter one, 
from verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, so Luke is writing, and if you know your Bible, you know that at the beginning of Luke, his gospel, part one, he writes to Theophilus, and he says, I'm going to collect everything I can about this Jesus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the Easter story, sorry, Dan, doesn't end with the resurrection. It ends, in a sense, here. With a to be continued immediately. Some of you may know there's a little bit of a challenge that ascension gets described twice. Perhaps you know that at the end of Luke's gospel, at the end of his part one, he describes the ascension almost immediately after the resurrection. Here, at the beginning of his part two, he says it was 40 days later. Is that a problem? Some people say it is. Some people try and make it a problem. It's the kind of thing with scripture we have to, to wrestle with. Actually, I don't think it's a problem at all. I think the first doesn't give time scale. It actually is condensed. These are the things that happened. And here... He's expanding at the beginning of his part two. He adds some key details, doesn't he? Who or what is at Jesus' birth, Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus' ascension? You're all behind your mask saying angels, aren't you? Well done. You notice that? What's the most common, uh, or one of the most common symbols of the presence of God throughout the entire scripture? We've seen too many of them the last few days. Not raindrops, but clouds. Luke tells us that at the ascension, there were angels and Jesus goes up into a cloud. Did you notice at the beginning, and we'll put it up for you, he said, in my former book, I wrote about the things that Jesus began to do. That's why we read our Bibles carefully. If you haven't got one open, please grab it and get it open. He began. There's more that he is now doing, 
after the giving, if we can just put that verse back up, after the giving of the Holy Spirit. There's a began and there's an after. There's no problem for Luke in having described this event twice. So what happened? Did it happen? Did Jesus physically ascend into heaven, go up into heaven, alive into heaven? Some people will tell you that this is a word picture. Some people will tell you this is poetic. This is metaphorical. It's a spiritual thing that happened. Well, the first thing is that we believe in miracles, I hope. And for a miracle to be a miracle, it doesn't have to be repeated time and time again. There's always a first time that a miracle happens. If this happened, it was a miracle that Jesus, bodily, physically, alive, went into heaven. Secondly, did you notice the repeated word or word group? Just have a look at it now. What's the repeated phraseology or word in the whole of that text? What was it? Constantly it's stressed throughout that entire reading. You're all saying it behind your mask, aren't you? Looking, seen, visible. This was a very visible event. Verse 9, he was taken up before their very eyes. He was hidden from their sight. They were looking intently. The angels say to them, why do you stand here looking into the sky? He will come back, they say, in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. I really hope you know, and many of us do, but maybe if you're a bit fresh to this, I hope you know if a Bible writer bothers to repeat a word or a word group or a phraseology more than once, it matters. There's a reason for it. So, We, or I, certainly believe in miracles. I believe in a God who is not defined by the things that restrict and define me. Secondly, I notice that Luke, who has said to Theophilus in the beginning of part one and in part two, that I'm going to carefully examine and present to you all the evidence, has said and repeated at least five times, this was a visible event. Thirdly, the Old Testament predicts, prophesies that exactly this is what is going to happen. And then the New Testament writers, and we'll put the list up, Jonathan, please, of just these points. The New Testament writers all assume and take this as having been a real event, every single one of them. Paul, Peter, etc. They all talk about this as the crunch. And then you can see evidence now that I want to talk about in a moment. So let's look, just a quick glance through scripture. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision, he has a a picture of how things are going to be and here it is up on the screens. In my vision at night I looked up Daniel chapter 7 and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds, there it is, of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. So Daniel has this vision, this picture of Jesus being led into the presence of God the Father. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples and that every language worshipped him. His dominion 
is an everlasting dominion, where his, where his rule is exercised is everlasting, that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus, before the Sanhedrin, Jesus, when he was on trial, was asked the question, are you the Christ? Mark 14, 62, he says, you will see the This is his way of answering. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior, the one we've been waiting for? He says, you will see the Son of Man. He takes the title that's been used in Daniel. It was a common title in Jewish thinking. He takes the title and he says, you will see him sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Philippians chapter 2, when Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, he uses, many of us will know in in Philippians chapter 2, something that was very probably a song. It was a song that the early followers of Jesus would have sung right from the very start. And and then it gets passed on down and it gets gets collected and, and it's used by Paul. Many of us will know as a beautiful imagery for who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, what God has done. And here it is, Philippians 2, 8 to 11. And being found in appearance, talking about Jesus as a man he humbled himself becoming obedient to death even death on a cross and then here's the bit therefore we always look for the buts the ands and the therefores in scripture don't we therefore because it's a connecting word God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so it's no surprise that at Pentecost Sunday, the first Pentecost that we're going to celebrate, when Peter stands up and he, he's telling, he's explaining who Jesus is, the Messiah, and he's explaining why the good news is for everyone. He talks about Jesus' death, And then he goes straight to this, Acts 2.33. The climax of what God has done in Jesus is that he has been exalted to the right hand of God. So in the words of the famous theologian, I believe in miracles. I see that it was visible. We're not friends into a, a worshipping of a God who only just sort of kind of is hidden and spiritual. And spe- you know, Tim earlier said, we will hear testimonies of physical things happening. This is our God. He's visible as well as invisible. The Old Testament said this would happen. The New Testament writers all say to us, to you as followers of Jesus, it happened And I want to say in a moment how we can see the evidence of that. So what? Great, Andrew. I I didn't disagree with you in the first place. I always thought this was how it happened. I always, yeah, maybe I might have said the resurrection was really the kind of big thing about the Easter story. And maybe you've helpfully just sort of shown me just through scripture that actually the focus of all the scripture is on this, the ascension, the bodily ascension of Jesus into heaven. But, but you know, kind of don't overplay it. You know, so what? You know, the big deal is next week, Pentecost. That's the really big deal, isn't it? You know, 
Someone asked you when you left church today, if you haven't heard the next 10 minutes of what I've got to share with you, they said, why does it matter? What would you say? Why does ascension matter so much? Why do I know that there's a few of us who absolutely need to get this in our hearts as well as our heads? What would you say? Why does it matter that Jesus bodily, physically, went from this earth into heaven? What would you say? Maybe you'd say, at the very least, he did what he promised. I mean, that's pretty important, isn't it? That that God promises something thousands of years, hundreds of years before Jesus is alive, and then Jesus fulfills that that promise, that that prophecy. That's pretty important, isn't it? I mean, many of us know as Christians, it's quite a neat trick to arrange to get killed in a certain way, in a certain place, at a certain time, which is what Jesus would have had to have done if we make all this stuff up. But if he fulfilled prophecies in his life, in his birth and in his death and throughout his life, here he is doing that again. That that matters quite a lot. But what about this? What about the truth that this shows that death is completely defeated? That's what really matters. Because actually, if you think about it, Jesus could have been resurrected to live again on earth and then to die. That's what some people say, that he wasn't even dead at all, that he became alive. Some people tell you he lived in, was it, is it France or somewhere like that, got married, had a couple of kids, a goat, you know. But do you see, the point is, this doesn't allow for that. This tells us that death is completely defeated because Jesus resurrected, comes to life, and then he goes to heaven alive. Which means that he is still Yes. (laughs) So when we sing about and when we pray and when we celebrate and when we want to introduce people to Jesus, the resurrection, of course, don't get me wrong, actually, Easter is all one piece. The Bible doesn't separate things out in quite the way that we do. But the ascension tells us that Jesus is alive in heaven. It it demonstrates the complete power of God over death. When you say that I believe, and when I do it at people's funerals, and I say for Christians, death is not a full stop, it's just a comma. And I say this person is going to be with Jesus. I prayed that yesterday with someone in our wider church family. If I pray that, I'm saying that because I know that Jesus is alive. And when we say he's interceding for us, when he's at the right hand of God the Father, when we say he's not distant, you really can celebrate the truth that that is true. That he sees you, that he loves you. You can also, secondly, trust the promises that he makes. And the biggest promise of all is that he's going to come back. How can he come back? Well, because he's still alive. Luke's already told us and told me that in the same way that I've seen him go to heaven, I'll see him 
come back. All of God's promises are true. And of course, the empty tomb is so powerful, is so important, isn't it, as, as evidence. But the ascension actually so matters to know that all of God's promises are true for every one of us watching at home now, in this building now. It's a secure hope to live by. In the incarnation, God in Jesus came into our world in human form. In the ascension, Jesus goes to be with the Father in human bodily form. Can I make that journey with Jesus? Yes, I can. I, I don't know what my physical body, I don't even know if I'll have a physical body in heaven. I, I, the Bible doesn't speculate in that way. There's clearly in Jesus a continuity between his earthly body and his heavenly body. Clearly there's a continuity. But you have to be careful about saying if that's true of him, that's automatically true of me. I don't know that. That isn't something you should do. But there is a form of continuity. There is a knowing Heaven is not just an amorphous kind of spiritual wishy-washy, you know, kind of all around, you know, flowers in our hair. Well, maybe you like flowers in your hair, but you know what I mean. There's a bodiliness to it, which we must be careful, as I say, just to be precise in, 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 in knowing what we don't know. But there's a meat to it, a reality to it. God's promises are true. So when we see people's lives transformed today, it's because of the living Jesus. When we see people, um, these first New Testament followers of Jesus, they died for this. They, they went to the grave because they said, this is true. This is who Jesus is. He's alive. That's what we see around the world today. That might be what's coming our way as well as we face greater persecution, as we, we face challenge. Our certainties, our hope in Jesus being physically alive. And then, of course, there's the reality of his kingdom. Because if he's a king, if, as those verses have said through Scripture, that he is going to be with the Father, then he has all authority. And a king has a kingdom. And so the ascension of Jesus to the throne above tells us there's a king with a kingdom. And it's not a physically defined kingdom it's a heart kingdom. It's where God rules in people's hearts. Where God is in his right place in people's lives. And the kingdom we know is, is, is dip, it works differently to the ways of earthly kingdoms. Praise God. It is, it is sometimes hidden. It is sometimes like a mustard seed. It is a yeast that is transforming. It is salt. It is light. But it is real. Because the king is alive. And if there's a live king, he has a kingdom. It's a foot-washing kingdom. It's a go-to-the-cross. It's a sacrifice kingdom. But ascension matters because it tells us it's real. So when Luke gets to the end of Luke, part one, 
there's a to be continued dot, dot, dot. And then the word immediately. And acts is the what happened immediately. Acts 2.33, they received the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus began to do, said Luke, all kinds of things when he was earth. And then Luke verse 1, chapter 1, Acts, he said he then, this is what happened next. This is what he continued to do through us. It, it isn't our kingdom. There's been a bit of stuff on Twitter with the archbishop praying in a certain way and some people challenging. We do need to remember it, it isn't our kingdom. It is God's kingdom. Uh, he is the one who connects now with your heart, your heart. But he has invited us to be part to steward, to enact, to be hands, to be mouths, to be feet that celebrate, express, and carry the authority of the king. And on Sunday next week, we will particularly celebrate the gift, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit into us who enables all of that. But we kind of get ready in our sense for the immediately, the what's happening now part by recognising the authority of the king and the calling of the king and the scope of all nations, all people, I've been using three words with our staff team to finish. Here they are. Recovery, reimagining, and renewing. I think that's at least helpful to some of us to think about for this season. There is some recovering that we're having to do. Are we, are we dwelling with God? Are we confident in his complete, perfect defeat of evil? Are we, are we trusting in his promises? You know, what a gift to us, actually. What a gift to us to, to, to be able to say, let's take stock. What, what a gift I could put another R, I could put the word real. What a gift for me to be able to say, I've really been challenged by some of my fears over the last 12 months. I've, I've really been challenged about what I get anxious about. I've been really challenged. I'm challenged about what I've relied on, who I've relied on, who I've trusted in. What a gift that we, we, we really can. This is the beginning of a new part too. We can take stock. But it takes two to tango what's what's your rule of life that's going to what's the rhythm of your life that's going to enable this to be possible i mean if you're overwhelmed and your your life is filled with stuff and i've you know i've got that t-shirt as well but where's the space to listen to god where's the the space to let the wonder 
Thank you for that moment earlier, band and Tim. Where's that, that space to say, open the eyes of my heart, God? And, and then there's some reimagining to do, isn't there? There's the, you know, we're informed by the past. I've, I've shared prophetic words through scripture. We're informed by what God has done in the past, but we're led into the future. It was to be continued immediately. The, the, the first followers of Jesus were not to sit in an upper room and, and study their navels and wait for Jesus to just come back when he might come back and save just them. There was a calling. There was a purpose. They were to reimagine what the future looks like. We have to do that as a church family. You're doing that as individuals, I hope, reimagining with the Holy Spirit in the lead. You know, when we take this scaffolding off, how sad, how sad, how terrible it would be if it was just the same in September. Wouldn't that be a tragedy What's the Holy Spirit leading into us? How do I need to imagine a world differently? And then I think if we just put the words up one more time, Jonathan, I think there's a renewing of commitment. And I just have a sense of myself about not leaping to that final one too fast. I mean, every morning when I wake up, I have to choose whether I'm going to live this day for Jesus. I have to say, God, let it be your day. Let me serve you. I have to make that commitment every morning. Not take it for granted. But I think there's actually a renewing of our commitment to Jesus that needs to happen in quite a deep way. I recognise that in myself. You know, he loves me. I am a Christian. I will be in heaven. Death has not got me. All right? I believe that. I'm not looking forward, by the way, to the process of dying, but I do not fear death. But even within that truth of relationship with my God, my King who sits on the throne, I need to renew my commitment to him. Because I have thought about giving it all up. I've thought, am I really into this? I've thought, am I called to church ministry? I have, I've thought, what a, you know, Nikki and I could have a different kind. I've thought all of those things. Don't pretend you haven't either. Please. So do you see what I mean? I have to spend time with the Lord. I have to live in the light of the king who is the king alive on his throne. I have to spend a bit of time recovering. This is not a time for rash decision making, by the way. I have to reimagine what life looks like and then I will renew my commitment to the king and his kingdom. And some of that is why ascension matters.